Hello and welcome to The Madecast, the official podcast of the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment, a series of lectures on video game history as part of The Made's ongoing effort to preserve history through teaching and displaying playable exhibits of rare games and consoles. While life in the time of COVID has forced us to close our doors, the support of people like you has allowed us to continue to bring history to you through lectures like the one you'll hear in a few minutes. I'm Red. I'm Miles. I'm Chen. And I'm Anthony. Today is part two of our chat with Brandon Anderson. Really exciting chat. We talk about dynamic audio, but also, before we get into that, we rattled off a list of all these amazing E3 games last week. So let's talk about which ones we're most excited about this week. Starfield is probably at one of the top of the lists of what I'm really excited about, but I'm a little bit of a Bethesda boy, as much as the relentless Skyrim has, you know, kind of tainted my, my, my palate. I am very excited about Starfield. I think that people are going to expect it to be better than Skyrim at launch. And if Bethesda has taught me anything, it's to not trust them until like two years after the game is out. Because Skyrim was a broken mess. Uh, Fallout 4 was a broken mess. Fallout 76 was a broken mess. Elder Scrolls Online was a broken mess at launch. They make, they make good games eventually, but they don't launch good games. That's, that's very true. Very, like... It, Fallout 4 felt very clunky at launch. I mean, the story was great, and I loved the environment, but it did feel a bit clunkish. Well, nowadays, everyone is having a hot launch. That's why I also, like, I also enjoy, like, the open alphas and, like, the open betas. I mean, it's, I know it's hard to do with larger games, but they just need that massive player base to check for bugs because players are going to do things that designers don't expect them to do or want them to try to do they need to have a specific that actually saves them a lot of money for doing the qa for the games too because it, it does yeah i mean like if you have people that are working on specific levels all the time then you have people running through the entire thing figuring things out at a different way than your qa testers are going to do it it'll lend itself to potentially better help uh and more realistic expectations of what you can do for the game but I get trying to keep things secret and not really getting it out to the public as much because you want to keep it under wraps. That's an understandable thing too, but I don't know. And there's there, there could be a better way to do it. I'm also interested in Battlefield 2042. The biggest thing that I've heard about that is the is the level of destruction and like capabilities in that engine. So, like, many things are going to be even more destructible than many Battlefield games. Like, not just walls. I think buildings will be able to collapse after a bit. Maybe touched about this for a minute with Brennan Anderson. But, but a fully destructible universe as well. I think that's going to be the next kind of level of immersion in games. Like, if you crash into any sort of wall... The wall will have physics and crack or do something uh, based on the materials. It, that can be a very exciting thing that hasn't been really touched as much. I mean, Battlefields, one of the Battlefields came to fame is this destruction and how they do it. I mean, DICE does a great job with their destruction engine, and I really wish more engines had that kind of capability to look like that. I think the most interesting thing to come out of... Uh what I've been hearing about Battlefield is they're going to be using AI to fill in player slots in empty servers. So there's the possibility of basically playing a multiplayer map 
as a single person in the entire server because you're just playing with AI. That that would be, I don't know if that would help. Like, it depends on how good the AI is, in my well, opinion. Well, I think it depends on how many active players you're going to get in server. I mean, if there's enough players, like, you probably don't need any of those AI, I think. I mean, I hope that's the goal. I mean, hopefully. I mean, but I mean, I think I think you won't see that kind of issue until years later after the player base has moved on to a different game, like an early college, like logging on to Modern Warfare Two on my PS3 and waiting for a lobby. There, I mean, that's that's one specific game that still has a couple lobbies of people still playing, but other games, other Call of Duty games, you try and go in for the lobby, you're waiting fifteen twenty minutes to get a full lobby of. 10 people, 12 people. So that may be the case with games like that in the future. Um, huh, speaking of that, when I play Destiny, I don't... I never really notice that you have you can't kill it into anyone because there there will always be someone there. I wonder what, why it's... Why is it different? Now... Maybe they're like closing. Maybe they just have like server priority stuff where they're. I don't know. Taking people from another server, and it's like, oh, there's not a lot of people here. We can send them over to this server where there's also a little bit of people to free up a server and then load up another one. Maybe we'll see. I'm I'm unaware, but I think it's time we hear a little bit more from Brennan Anderson and his talk about dynamic audio. Uh, this is a fantastic and fascinating conversation. Here it is. We are joined once again by Brennan Anderson. Thank you for coming back and uh, talking with us once more. Uh, it was yeah. such a brief interview. We didn't even get to talk about uh, some of our, uh, any of the dynamic audio like in the games <laughs> and what we're talking about. So yeah. round two. Yeah. Happy happy um, to be back. Uh, so what do you think is the biggest use of dynamic audio and where it can be more widely mm. used in the game industry right now? Or where do you think it's like lacking or right? So I have several thoughts about this. You know, like I said in our last interview, I come from Final Fantasy JRPG kind of tradition, uh, in what kind of inspired me to start doing music. So there's uh, you know, and I guess just like kind of Japanese games in particular, there's a strong, strong tradition of memorable melody. And one of the things that's really difficult, I think, about dynamic music is that the deeper you go, um, the more memorability can be lost if you don't think about it, how you want to do it beforehand. So I'll, I'll give a, a quick example. So there was a game called Remember Me. And they had the goal that they wanted their music system to be as dynamic as possible, where every different attack combo that you could do would start off a chain of different dynamically layered music and, and you know, the melody and everything would always be constantly changing based completely on what you had the character do. And it was an incredibly complex system and it worked. I cannot hum you the melody from that game. <laughs> um, it, and then they actually, I, I remember going to a GDC talk where they actually, they admitted that they were like, you know, 
the more granular we went, um, you know, it felt really good to have the music change as you played differently. So one play style would have completely different music than another play style, but it was really hard. And, you know, we even lost some of the like recognizability of the music. And so I, whenever I approach dynamic music, I really try and look at how can I, you know, keep the core of what makes this music this game's music while still being uh, dynamic. So one of my favorite examples of this, uh, well, I have many, but uh, so a couple of my favorite examples of this would be, um, do you remember Diddy Kong Racing? Yes. So that super memorable thing, did it, did it, did it, did it, did it, you know, and on the character select screen, every character had their own version of that theme. And it would be different instrumentation and sometimes different, you know, harmonies and rhythms and in, in some cases, slightly different melodies, but it was still very related to that original melody. And whenever you scrolled over that character, it would fade in to that new version. Uh, you know, it was all MIDI based. So, you know, it was easy to uh, change tempo and stuff too. And, and so like, you know, when you got to, when you scrolled over banjo, it was just like all on the banjo and like super bluegrass and super cool. And, and then, you know, when you go over to like Diddy Kong, it was, you know, the harmonica or whatever, I can't remember what it was, but, um, you know, if you listen to each of the, the characters, it, it almost sounds like a completely different piece of music, uh, just because of the style but it all just works together when you're fading in and out and it, it sounds really great. So that's kind of my favorite way to do dynamic music. Um, and I actually did that in a game called Dodo Pop where um, you is casual mobile game uh, level based uh, and, and you had a map, a world map. And as you completed the levels, the world map would scroll up. And then, so you started in like this desert region uh, and then when you went up, or no, it was a grasslands. So then when you went up enough levels, you were in kind of the desert region. Then when you went up, you were in like a tundra reason, region or something like that. And so I made it on the map to where you, I had the four different layers playing, uh, and then they were just muted. And then as you scrolled up the map, it would increase or decrease the volume of each of the layers based on where on the map you were. And so to to where like you could actually if you were in the region between like the desert and the tundra you could hear a little bit of both but then when you got all the way into the tundra you only heard like the the tundra and it was like glockenspiel and and sleigh bells and the desert was like had like chanting choirs and and like kalimba and you know stuff like that yeah so um so so it, and it was you know playing the same theme similar um uh, similar harmonies and stuff, just different instrumentation and, and, uh, rhythms and stuff like that. And so that's, you know, and then that, that's just one way of doing dynamic music. There are like, and, and like the, probably one of the more famous versions of that, like the earliest version of that would be like Monkey Island, um, with their <laughs> iMuse system. Like, you know, it would be, you'd, you'd be playing the theme and then you'd go into the house and it's the same kind of theme, but different. And then, you know, you know, all that stuff. So that's kind of where, where that style, I think, came from. So, you know, there, there's, and there's just like any way that you 
anything that you can think of, right? You can do nowadays. Like we, we have the technology, uh, we can build it better, faster, stronger, right? <laughs> uh, one of my favorite kind of techniques is sim similar to that, but fundamentally a little different. And it was much, much easier to pull off back in the day of MIDI versus now when we use pre-baked audio files. Um, so basically I was playing, so there, there are two games that did this. Uh, one was Super Mario Galaxy 2, the other was Skyward Sword. Super Mario Galaxy 2 was, was easier to understand what was happening, uh, but I think Skyward Sword did it a little in a more interesting way. So in Galaxy 2, there were levels where you were writing Yoshi and you could have him eat a hot pepper and he would run really fast, right? So when he ate the hot pepper and started running fast, the music changed to slightly different instrumentation stuff, but it didn't stop there. It also got faster in tempo. And this is interesting because it was using pre-recorded audio files of you know orchestral music and you can't just change the tempo <laughs> of the, those files without it sounding incredibly weird it wasn't like sped up like you know if you speed it up and and everything's pitched up and everything you know it didn't do that it was the same pitches you know same same key and everything just a faster tempo and it wasn't doing like granular synthesis either it had no artifacting or whatever so um what and then they did the same thing in skyward sword where when you were in the bazaar there were the the different vendors around and so you could go to the fortune teller or the potion maker or the the shield guy and they all had the same bizarre theme, but again, different instrumentation, but also different tempos. So like the the po the or the the fortune tellers guy's music was a lot slower than like the shield guy, uh, and which was faster than the the potion guy or whatever. And as you walked between the stalls, that it would change. And it you know, this is a a problem that needs to be solved because if you have two pieces of music or three or four that are at different tempos, they're going to be at different lengths, right? So you can't just play them on top of each other and crossfade between them. So um, I, I, I really wanted to figure out how to do this, right? Because this is like, you know, this is really cool future of dynamic music or whatever hyperbole, you know, I attributed to it. And so, uh, you know, I figured out, you know, with with the help of my cousin, who's who's also a programmer, um, that all you really had to do was figure out where in the music you were and convert that from a time to a percentage. Right. So if I'm 50 percent into a 30 second piece of music, that's, you know, 15 seconds, and I want to crossfade into a one minute piece of music that's the same, just like twice as slow, then I know I'm going to go to 30 seconds because that's 50% of a 60 second piece of music. Um, so once we figured that out, it was just easy. Just make sure, you know, the pieces are the same number of bars and, and musically speaking, just the same, just different tempos or whatever. Uh, and then you can do a quick crossfade and then maybe a sound effect or something in case like, because if we, what, we, what I noticed is if you have strong drums or rhythmical elements that crossfading you can hear them overlap and it wouldn't sound as good so so either try and 
avoid those elements or play a sound effect to kind of cover them up. And so I was able to to take that and use that in um, a few games. Uh, one that I did was called Emoji Blitz. You know, it's like it's a match three. And then once you get enough, you get a power up and then everything goes crazy. So we're like, OK, everything's going crazy. Things are popping off all over the screen. So let's increase the tempo. So we were able to use that there, too. So uh, dynamic music, the most, <laughs> the most uh, it's it just enhances the immersion in any game. Yeah, uh, it just really allows you to kind of just feel it. I mean, yeah. especially like with the bizarre, it's like it gives each personal character their own feeling, and yeah. like you're actually like differentiating <laughs> them from not just a different like a reskinned NPC. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, it's it it really helps um, to you know because because if you think about like a game world, it's trying to emulate life to an extent and while also evoking feelings yeah and 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 music is the just the best way to do that i think mm. um you know where you can have each character feel completely different because they have different music and that reflects their personality whereas maybe they don't look completely different I mean, in some mm-hmm. games, like in, in Zelda, they do look completely different, but yes, like, yeah. but you can use the music to really amplify that too. Mm-hmm. Do you have anything that you wish could be done that you haven't seen yet or anything along those lines of what you're looking forward to in the future? Yeah, it it's tough because unless you see it, it's hard to say. I mean, and in, in, unless you're like a super visionary person, which mm-hmm. uh, I, you know, we all want to be, but you know, we are limited to our own capacities, right? But I, so I think, I mean, like, so that, you know, the the whole tempo thing is one that, it, you know, I am passionate about and want to keep using uh, mm-hmm. because I hardly see it, right? Yeah. Um, it's, I've only seen it in a few Nintendo games, right? Yeah, for a thing that's sort of doing yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, like, that's such a unique way of actually doing it and it's enough to if you can keep it along the same melody Mm -hmm. and just this but just again like you said different tempo you can totally change the feeling for each individual character or place that you're in yeah you can have like a subset of regions within the main thematic region that are just like oh, this one has like some rain in the background this is like a drier area this is a forest area and this or, or even like, like, um, and because like we've been talking about it in terms of different characters, but like imagine your your own character. So you have a theme, and maybe it's an adventure game or something, and uh, you can base the music and the tempo on his state of mind or her state mm. of mind or whatever. So like, if the character is like, you know, really sad, you can you can make the have the same theme but slow it down. Um, mm-hmm. Or if they're like really hyped and excited, then you can speed it up and, and change the instrumentation and all that. And um, you know, I think that tempo is probably something that is maybe the most underutilized in terms of dynamic audio. I mean, we it's utilized a bunch in terms of like mm-hmm. uh, you know, oh, combat's going to be faster and, and yeah. more dramatic scenes are probably going to be slower. But like, I think changing tempo is really underutilized. Um, so that, that's what I would say I want to see more of is, is more people to figure out more ways to utilize tempo in that way. Okay. Yeah, that would be, that would be very exciting. Yeah. Um, (laughs) Looking forward to the future. 
I mean, the, again, the most dynamic thing that I've been recently seeing, and as far as my limited playable games. Hades, for example, was just a really good one that started out with just the, the simple baseline as you're walking mm. around and then really kind of fleshing out into an exciting open yeah. world. I think, and that's that's specifically vertical mixing, right? Um, yeah, if you want to explain it so other people can yeah, understand yeah, I, it as well. So the basic idea is horizontal is you can imagine you have a piece of music that has an A section and a B section and a C section. And horizontal mixing is saying... Uh, okay, when I'm in this situation, I'm going to play the A section. And then when an event happens or when another situation happens, I'm going to play the B section. So you could say, um, like, you write, write this piece of music, and when you're in traversal, you're playing the A section. When you get into combat, it finishes out playing the A section, but then switches to the B section. Uh, and then maybe when you're, like, in a safe zone, it switches to the C section. Um and so you can, you know, get different parts of your music to play. So you can have different melodic and harmonic contents, you know, just be completely different, but still thematically relevant to each other and then mix around how they're played. Um, that's horizontal. Vertical is when you have the same piece of music, but it's broken out into maybe different instruments or what we, we call them stems. Um, it might be one instrument or multiple instruments in the same audio file. They're all playing at the same time, but you, you know, crossfade them and, you know, drive the volume of them based on different game events. Um, so it might be where like a really, really simple uh, version of this is you're in combat and you have a uh, winning, losing and a neutral stem, right? Uh, so if, you know, when you first get into combat, you're playing the neutral one. If you lose a bunch of HP, it'll fade down into the, the losing stem. Uh, but then if you like start killing all the enemies and it's down to like a few enemies left, it crossfades over into the winning stem. Uh, sometimes these are going to be pre-baked. So you only hear one at a time. Uh, sometimes you'll, you'll hear multiple stems at a time. So maybe the stem will be It'll just like the winning stem might just be a layer of like brass or strings or something on top of the rest of the music so that when you're about to win, it just gets bigger and bigger, you know, so that's that's vertical. Um, and I, yeah, so I would say that vertical is is what people a lot of people kind of um, think of when they say dynamic music. So and I think vertical mixing is probably what is the most popular today uh and what people are getting really 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 good at is that do you think that that's more of where things are going or just how things have been and like horizontal was more of like an older uh just what yeah. they were capable of doing in the past or yeah i i think um so it, it kind of goes to what your definition of dynamic music is right because mm -hmm. I, you know some people would say okay if you're in level one one of mario brothers and then you get, you know, you beat all the levels of world one and then you get to uh, level two, one, it changes the music or the underground or whatever. Some people wouldn't consider that dynamic music at all. I, I wouldn't really consider that dynamic music. That's just music based on the level you're in. Um, some people might say it's dynamic music. Uh, so it's, it's, it's tough to kind of nail down that definition. But, um, you know, the the horizontal stuff. Well, well, let me put it this way. Back when MIDI was going on, it was all possible. Like it, it, it's always all been possible until you get like back into the really early days where 
just limited voice counts and stuff like that. You just had to figure out what was the best for the game. And I think that's why they didn't do it much in NES games, if at all, uh, because you only had four voices. So doing dynamic music, you know, what you're going to have like one voice like playing, like, I don't know. So it's, it, it, it's a little tough, but um, I think the reason if I had to give a reason that vertical mixing, I mean, both still happen, but um, I think vertical is an easier and more noticeable win for the feeling evoking certain feelings. Um, Cause like, if you think about wise, right, they have their entire interactive music system completely does horizontal mixing, right? You can set cue points, loop points, and you can set transitions and stuff so that, you know, when you say, I want the B section to play, it'll play a transition to it to sound really nice and stuff. So like, like that's still very, very much done. I think it's just more noticeable when, oh, you know, I just got a boost and all of a sudden, like the drums are going crazy. Uh, <laughs> you know, whereas when, when you hear a horizontal piece of music, you're like, oh, that's just the music. Just my observation, yeah. I usually find the games that have a uh, more cinematic cutscene, like the mm -hmm. current Final Fantasy series, mm -hmm. the 15 and the remake one, they tend to like to use the horizontal one more because they need to mm -hmm. frequently switch between the gameplay and the movie side. So mm -hmm. they like that more. But if the game is more concentrated on the gameplay itself or there's not too many cutscenes, they usually like the vertical more because it's usually easier to fit into the, the gameplay, gameplay moment more. That's just my yeah. observation. Yeah, and it depends on like how scripted the game is, right? Yeah. Like if, if you have like if you have like if you're playing just an action game and there's not much scripting, like like horizontal music might not be the best fit. But like if you're if it's really tightly like, OK, every like 10 seconds, we have a specific thing that's going to happen. You're probably going to want to have a good horizontal mixing system set up. Um, so, yeah, so it really it depends on the game, I guess. I would guess that just certain times types of games are more popular and those types of games usually use vertical mixing more. But um, there, I mean, I couldn't also give you like a percentage of how much vertical versus horizontal mixing. It's It just is all kind of wrapped into one that we think of as dynamic music, right? I wish we had, again, more time to talk about <laughs> dynamic music, but I think we're running out of time again. Um, no worries. Yes. Uh, if you want to promote anything that you're working on currently or want to send anyone to check your stuff out, yeah, um, let them know. Yeah. So one other thing that I'm working on right now is I'm actually working on my own indie game um, just in my spare time. It's called, currently, the working title is um, Terra Firma, The Mountain Guardian. So it's a tactics game. Um, you know, it's going to use a lot of terrain manipulation. So moving tiles up and down, changing the terrain type to your advantage and stuff like that. Uh, if you want to see what I'm kind of posting on it, if you go look up uh, at whatnotgames underscore on Twitter, I have some stuff posted about it. So and that's W-H-A-T-N-O-T-G-A-M-E-S underscore. Well, awesome. Thank you once again, Brennan. Sure thing. Happy happy to be here. I really enjoyed that conversation with Brennan Anderson. I mean, we're we're all audio guys, so it was uh it was a pleasure 
to get to talk to somebody who's been working on something like that. And it's also interesting uh, hearing the perspective of more of a technical sound designer, mm-hmm. uh, where he's like more, f- uh, he's really focused on like implementation and making sure like the dynamic side of the audio actually functions in the game. So I think that technical side of things is really interesting. I have been searching for jobs the past few months, and the most usual job posing I've seen is technical sound designer. Mm-hmm. They're the one in the nitty gritty making sure stuff works. I mean, it's a yeah. good position to have if you can get it. Other than that, I don't, I don't really see that much of opening posts. Even, even the sound designer. Not talking about composers, because we we all know it's like a, a unicorn in the forest. It, yeah. It just says how how important is this pose in, in the game nowadays and how lacking of lacking of how much we need to pay more attention to this pose because obviously I don't think there's enough people in that. That's why the job posing is everywhere, just about this instead of just sound design and other stuff. Mm-hmm. The technical the technical side of things is a very specific lane that people need to people aren't very aware of. Just like we just like we talk in the interview, you just know a little bit of everything that's what you have to do in as a technical sound designer you're finding holes to put stuff in and that's it in other like side gaming news i will be picking up a switch and on the next episode i will report back with new plays i will be picking up breath of the wild i mean we just did also we didn't even mention it earlier but breath of the wild 2 was announced so they said next year no specific time. They just said, yeah, next year. So realistically, it's probably going to be 2023 in the spring. Um, <laughs> I would say, I guess, it's probably by the end of next year, but probably won't go to 2023. I mean, this title makes I mean, I hope a not, lot of money. But it's exciting. It's my first new console. I also had to get a larger external battery to make sure it lasts the flight. But I think it's about that time. We want to thank you for listening to the Museum of Art and Digital Entertainment's official podcast. If you have any thoughts, questions, corrections, or general museum ideas, please shoot us an email at info at themade.org. And please, we do, we do enjoy the feedback and we want to take everything into account. We'd like to send out a big thank you to everyone who donated recently and to our Patreon supporters who keep the made afloat. Patreon donors get to listen to this podcast one week before it's released on major streaming services, and we'll continue that with future episodes every week. Till then, I'm Miles. I'm Red. I'm Anthony. I'm Jim. Thanks, and we'll see you next time.